playing God. Yes. Um, I wanted to like this episode a lot. I think it's the more successful of the two episodes we watched this week. Yeah, certainly. And maybe of the episodes that have featured Dax, it's one of the better Dax episodes. Well, because it gives her some sort of personality and agency in her own plot, which is good because the other episodes have really just kind of treated her as a China doll, which may yeah. be offensive. So I apologize to any Chinese listeners. Anyway, um, or, or any of our listeners who may be dolls. <laughs> I think all of them are. Aww, Hello. That's adorable. Yeah, this episode is, uh, I think it's important for the character of Dax. I think it's an interesting exploration of trill culture. I know that's something that you're yes. interested in. Um, it goes a little further into this, what, do, you know, we've had the concept of what it means to be a joined trill is something that they've given us metaphors approaching. And every time we have a different little wrinkle in that, and here we have a further wrinkle. Um, we really haven't had Jedzia talk that much about Curzon and in this it's being, you know, what Jedzia feels kind of resentment and is a little pissed off at Curzon in some ways. And we've never really had that, you know, before. And that's a very interesting, um, kind of emotion to have, you know, to be just upset at this person that you had a past life with, even though you kind of know his motivations very intimately, you know. I think, well, it's interesting because, you know, uh, the character of, of Arjun is, uh, who cares? I mean, yeah, he's, a guest, is... he's a guest star. We don't really care about him. His story is, I, one of the reasons that I like this episode is because I think it's, the show doing what it needed to do more of in the second season, which was actually tie the guest stars plot yes. of the week into something about our characters. And so, you know, it's not completely successful, but I do think that the script does a fairly good job of using the character of Arjun and his story as leverage to telling us an interesting story about Jadzia and revealing some more information about her personality. Yeah, and I would also say that, you know, you, you say about Arjun, you know, who cares, whatever, you know, but that is kind of the point of the episode is that, you know, he's not a good candidate for joining because he has no personality, you know, and this is the point, you know, the the major kind of theme of this episode is that you know, having no personality is not enough. If you want to excel at something, you have to, in a way, be flawed in some ways. You know, this first glimpse that we see of Dax in this episode, she's gambling with the Ferengi, you know. And we've seen that she does that, but, you know, it's—we've always just taken that as, you know, part of Dax's character. And, you know, Arjun's reaction to that makes it, you know, very clear how, you know, that's a more idiosyncratic behavior than we maybe— gave Dex credit for. Yeah, well, I think, you know, in, in a certain sense, this is an episode that, that is retconning Jadzia yeah. in a way, because, you know, one of the criticisms that we've had of the character is that we don't really know that much about her, but the show hasn't really taken the opportunity to teach us about her. You know, she's had a couple of, of episodes so far, Dax from the first season, and then there was uh, uh, Invasive Procedures where yeah. the Trill symbiote was, was stolen from her. And, you know, our, our problems with those episodes were, were, frankly, that she was not, she was not entity yeah. in, her, in her own plot. And so I think this episode does kind of retcon that in a way and, and kind of tell us why she's doing certain things. You know, why Jadzia likes gambling with the Ferengi. You know, why Jadzia has, you know, weird ideas about who she wants to sleep with. 
Um, not to say that she has weird ideas about who she wants to sleep with, but just kind of, you know, how she's this kind of episode, thinking about the, you know, how she's kind of thinking about that, right? Yeah. And this episode made it clearer in the ways that other episodes have in that she has a fairly recreational personality at times and it's, you know, just seen as a quirk of her, you know, she because she has that wrestler guy that, you know, it's very implied that they have a close relationship. They're they're fucking yeah uh, yeah <laughs> absolutely and you and w- one of the things that I that I like about the episode is that it does take that sort of joie de vivre attitude very seriously because yeah. you know I I like the fact that there's a lot there's a lot to talk about here and I think that that you know we can talk about a lot of the backstory with the troll symbionts because there is some interesting information revealed in this episode about them which I don't think we knew before <laughs> but but. Uh, in kind of the, the the aggregate of the episode, you know, it, it does make sense that Jedzia would be this type of person because the the symbiont is, and it's interesting that that Jedzia says that that it's I don't know it's hard to talk about. We need sort of a different name for Jedzia. Maybe Jedzia Dax we'll call Dax and Jedzia, but then there's da- whatever see, like, we'll call Jedzia. To me, Dax is the symbiont. You know, Jedzia yeah. is the woman. Curzon is the man, and. Curzon Dax is that joined entity. So I Dax guess is the. I guess we need to call her by her full name whenever we're referring to the joined entity. So we'll say yeah. Jadzia Dax. It's it, you know it almost you know that the convention that I I, I assumed was you know Curzon Dax is Curzon plus Dax Jadzia plus Dax. You know she mentions a couple other people in this episode, but you know. Well, it's even more complicated than that, though. Yeah. And I don't want to go too far down into a rat hole about this, but. You know, because you say, yeah, well, Curzon Dax is a combination of Curzon's personality and Dax's personality. But, of course, Dax's personality is a combination of all the previous hosts. Yeah. And Dax probably had a personality before the symbiont was ever joined. We don't know that much about how the symbionts work, you know. Yeah, do they need to be joined from the, the you know, their moment of birth, however they are born? Yeah, and there's a lot of open questions about, you know, whether or not the, the, the symbionts have actual individual personalities before they're joined. Are they even sentient life forms? I think yeah. the episode kind of implies that they are. So, you know, when we're talking about when we're talking about Jadzia Dax, the joined person, we'll we'll call her Jadzia Dax, I assume, uh, or I suppose, even though that's kind of, of clunky. But you know, so this episode is telling us that Jadzia Dax is is a free spirit is a is a is a person yeah. who really really enjoys life and Jadzia was not that type of person and we kind of get the impression that she got this from the Dax symbiont now was that from Curzon was that from Curzon Dax was that from you know who knows but i think it's interesting that this episode does reveal finally for the first time i think explicitly that Jadzia Dax's personality did change significantly when she was joined. And I would but I would also say that one of the points of the episode is that Jadzia herself made some changes. You know, when she talks about how she had this uh you know, she had to shadow a tra- you know, a trail and she shadowed Curzon and you know, the way she describes herself and from what we've learned, what we see uh, of Arjun is probably very similar to how Jadzia was, you know. Jadzia, it's told she had what? What did she had? Like two doctorates by the time she was eighteen, or something like right. that. You know, she, well, you know, while Arjun is certainly doing this because it's his father's wish, you know, and it seems that it was Jadzia's wish to be joined this entire time. It's very clear that you know Jadzia was the type of person who 
she, all she wanted to do was be valedictorian, you know, and she, she studied really hard, you know, and that was all she did, and she worked really hard, and she was on all the, you know, did all the right clubs, and, you know, was on the yearbook staff, you know, and, you know, volunteered and did Habitat for Humanity. And, well, yeah, that's exactly you know, what, and, and, that's exactly what Jed Zia yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, She's yeah. the type of person who, you know, I, <laughs> it's funny, I, I, um, I, uh, I substitute Todd briefly years ago, and I always had this story. I, 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 uh, I got for the day a middle school um, at a charter school um, in unnamed state where I was substitute yeah. teaching, and this person is probably like running Yahoo or something now. <laughs> but you know, she was just that very type A personality. You could tell that uh, uh, she really, really was driven and wanted yeah. to go far in life, and she was just kind of like, you know, I can help you do this, I can help you do that. That's not how the teacher usually does it. I can show you how. And finally, after like the fifth time she did this, I just looked at her and I said, "Kid, save it for Harvard." Yeah, and so like a very L. Woods type almost, you know. Yeah, and so that's kind of what I think about when I when I when Jed Zia Dax is talking Wait, about no, Jed L. Zia. L. Woods is uh, legally blonde, the one that she was in, you know, when she's it in the election. Anyway, the point, yeah, and. Curzon rejects her from the program because that's not what a symbiont needs, you know. The whole point of this. Well, that, but see, that's my problem know, with the episode, though, is that I don't really understand, you know, the. Yeah. I, they, it's I kind know. of a. It, it, I don't know. How do you feel about this? Because I think that you had some. Uh, you had some speculation about what exactly the symbionts were. And, yeah. you know, in this episode, I think it's the first time that it's revealed that there's only 300 of them, you know? And so it's a very, very, very well, small number of symbionts for that. The... I wasn't, he's, I, I wasn't actually sure. He said three, there's 300 or 300 available. It well, 300 probably... available, but I mean, 300 available indicates that there aren't that many. Yeah. yeah. Yes. True. There may be, you know, you... anyway, there may be a few thousand or something. Okay. But fair point. And still each class has 300, you know, openings you know yeah something like that who knows um the the, but the point is yeah but 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 at any point it's it's a vanishingly small number of symbionts for a sentient species who we assume has billions and billions of of, of members and then them in but that makes complete sense because they you know this episode is very similar to you know the applying to college episode in a lot of ways in you know we that was the you know metaphor we just used but you know, here are people, Arjun and certainly Jadzia before she met Curzon, you know, thought that all they needed to do was just get straight A's and, you know, sit in the front of the class and answer every question, right? And that, you know, that would be the way to excellence. And when they got into the real world, they realized that the bar is so much, in a way, so much higher and requires, you know, something unique. I mean, this is a hundreds of years old uh, creature, really, that, you know— the, the joint trill are the elite of society, sure, because they are carrying such a long-lived being with them, and therefore they need to, you know, you, you get the sense that the trill symbiont likes to learn a lot about a lot of different things. Sure, yeah. You know, and they're not going to learn that if they're with the person who is doing the rules right every single time because everyone knows that stuff already. If you're just getting straight A's, you know, in school, you're just parody, parroting back what your teachers have taught you. Well, why are we going to choose you as the person who is going to help this being learn more of culture. You know, they need somebody, as Jadzia turns out to be, who's going to actually enjoy sitting with Ferengi and gambling because, you know something, this symbiont didn't know what gambling with a Ferengi was like, and now it's having a good lot of good fun with that. Well, you know, it's interesting because I think that, that you know, we could talk a lot about the, the symbionts and how exactly yeah. this works, and I think that, that certainly there's some value in having that conversation, but... 
you, you know, what this really makes me think of is, you know, we're talking a lot about how Jadzia was was kind of, uh, you know, uh, yeah. just a... The the kind of kid that that uh, was very book smart but didn't really have a lot of uh, actual life experience and and Curzon kind of forced her hand in that sense yeah. and really forced her to own up to her own personality and sort of come back and 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 really become a strong proponent for you know a strong yeah. candidate for this yeah and, so say you know those two years she backpacked around the galaxy and you know learned some shit. <laughs> But but you know what? Well, yeah. But one of my problems with that is, of course, the episode is presuming that you can like you can kind of cram life experiences in the same way that you can like cram for a test, and that's yeah. kind of a problem because I think that you know if the symbionts, you know, wh- however they're choosing these people, assumedly there's some sort of board or something. Yeah, you know. However, they're choosing the the, the trill that are going to be joined. You know, you would you would think that they would want people that were naturally adventurous or naturally outgoing, or you know, brought something interesting to to the symbiont by dint of their own personality, not necessarily, you know, just that that the symbiont is going to be sucking up all of these memories. It, yeah, it's, no, it's kind of weird. But and, at the same time, I think being told that you know you don't measure up because you don't have any life experience, well. You know, the kind of person who can, you know, by force of will become a much more outgoing person and, you know, go into situations that they might not be initially comfortable with but are doing it because they, you know, maybe they should develop that curiosity. I mean, that that does count for something, I would say. Yeah, I I, I think that's a fair point. And, and you know, <laughs> you know the, it, it shows that Jadzia herself can evolve. I mean, I, I, I think it's... I think it's very fair to say that people who have too strong personalities don't do well as a joint trill either because they don't, you know, she says it's a balancing act, you know, between the symbiont's wishes and her own and, you know, these latent desires that, you know, Curzon and all the other uh, hosts have had. I mean, it's almost implied that Curzon was the one that introduced Jadzia and Dax to the joys of gambling, you know, but... You know, and and that's kind of a remnant interest, you know, that is still kicking because of, you know, you know, it's something that, you know, Jadzia may not have originally liked, but, you know, grew to love and grew to try because, well, you know, this person, this person I'm with enjoys doing it. So, hey, might as well. Um, yeah. And I guess, I mean, you know, it's funny because Jadzia is, again, probably the, the least interesting part yeah. of her own episode. And I, I guess... Talking about this episode, it's, it's making me realize that again, this is kind of a retcon of her character, and it's sort of, you know, the epi- the show really sort of sold her character early on as this very sort of aloof, wise figure sort of thing, you know, who was sitting in the holodeck and trying to move bubbles with her mind, and you know, she she had no time for all this like, you know, uh, petty romance, and she was, you know, what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, it was yeah. she was very interested in science and highfalutin stuff, and you know, listening to opera, or whatever, and. That's all fine. I have no problem with opera. Uh, if that's your thing, that's fine. Um, but I actually do have a problem with opera. There was a really great uh, Klingon opera scene. Oh, God. Um, well, yeah, we get to see the Klingon restaurant tour, and that, that's all always wonderful. <laughs> but, you know, then they sort of kind of repivoted. They kind of pivoted away from that and decided that, no, that wasn't the way that they wanted the character to go, frankly, because Jadzia was boring and, yeah, and really th- didn't. You know, there's a lot of really colorful characters on the show, and Jadzia was, frankly, yeah. I don't think they, I, I think they realized that Jadzia was not cutting it. 
And so they, they sort of repivot her character into this sort of like very earthy, you know? Yeah. Very, yeah. Very, earthy's a good word. Very for physical, it. very curious about the world in front of her, which, you know, goes with the fact that she is a science, you know, she is a science officer, you know, and which, you know, it's, I, I don't want to disparage Terry Farrell's portrayal mm. of Dax, but you know, you're making me realize that the type of character that they wanted Dax to become, I don't know if she was really able to get that across yeah. as much as as she should be. You know, and, uh, I'm g- really given that we've had a season, you know, the first season on all three thousand episodes of season two, talking. You know, this I like this version of Dax, but. I couldn't exactly – I. it seemed – as you said retcon a couple of times, and I think that – I think that not necessarily in a disparaging way, but in a noticeable way. I mean, this is not exactly fair to Terry Farrell, but I'm going to do this comparison anyway. Imagine Dax played by, say, Catherine Hepburn. Yeah. No, you know, like, very... like that would have been an interesting character, and I think that, that you know – Terry Farrell like was probably a good choice for the 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 initial conception of Dax, but when they went in that different route yeah. in that different direction, I don't know if she could really pull it off that well. Yeah, and she tries; she's game for it. I think that she is a good actress, but I don't know that that this version of the character, as it's developing, is the way to go. You know, she's just a little too reserved. I yeah. think, and it could just be that she's not. Well, maybe I mean, you know, I, I don't. I don't want to say that she doesn't get a handle on the character later. Maybe she becomes, you know, a wonderful, uh, a wonderful portrayal, and she's the best Star Trek character ever. Maybe, but I don't know. I guess part of it is the fact that you know, while well, she's certainly you know not the most formal character we've ever seen. She always, you know, her hair is you know certainly her hair is always very simple, but it's tied back. She's always wearing her uniform, very pressed, and like. She doesn't look as lived in and, you know, the portrayal is not as comfortable in her own body as, you know, it is. Like, there is a very different physicality to this. And yet again, I can see that conception of the character being very interesting. Again, you have, simply from the fact of having the symbiote, you know, having a very different body than the previous time, you know, there there is a enjoyment of a new physicality there is a whole new series of experiences to do you can you know i think i like the conception of the dax symbiont as of again a very idiosyncratic one a lot one who has a maybe unusual appetites you know and curiosity for you know one who doesn't completely follow the rules you know one who is a little more hedonistic than you know maybe the average trill symbiont tends to be you know i like that very much um yeah and i just you know i i I just don't know if they got lucky with an actress that could do that you know and that yeah i i I, again you know it's always been a criticism i think in in the star trek fandom of terry farrell and sort of saying oh you know she doesn't do the greatest job playing a joint trill you know never really get a sense of this kind of dynamic you know joint personality this kind of doctor who figure or something right and I'm starting to see what people mean by that. You know, Dax has always been a character that, frankly, you know, I mean, I I never gave Dax that much thought. She's got some good episodes. I like her with certain characters. But for the most part, she's not that integral to the show. And so, you you know, she's not the Counselor Troy of this series, but 
she i i don't think they necessarily figure out how to write and haven't figured out how to write and play her you know and they never there were a lot of moments in next generation where they didn't know how to write and play troy well i think that I think the comparison falls down a little bit because I think the problem it's, with Troy had a lot more to do with the writing and a lot less to do with Marina. And Sarah's that's as an that's actress. completely fair. No, she Whereas, was a in something like Face of the Enemy. You know, she is nails that role, yeah. and you know, she does that is Troy at the most. You know, at the epitome of her character. Maybe we haven't seen. Dax at the epitome of her character. Well, yet. and this is this is where I'm getting with that is you know I don't want to give too many you know spoilers, but you know spoiler alert: Terry Farrell doesn't become a great actress. And yeah, you know my pro, you know that's that's my problem with that comparison is that they do figure out how to write for Dax. They have a strong conception of the character. I just don't know that Terry Farrell can really pull it off. <laughs> Maybe Marina Sirtis could have pulled it off. That would have been interesting. <laughs> uh, you know, aside from all the Dax stuff. Arjun's plot, is there really that much to talk about? I mean, it's, he's it's, really only there as a vehicle for all this Jadzia stuff, and he's kind of a pissant, so I don't know. You know, I mean, as she's, you know, it's nice seeing, he does, there are, there's one or two scenes where his cringing towards, like at the restaurant, his reactions are great, you know, but there are a little too many, few too many scenes like that, and Oh, I've just come, I've come early and she's in her bathrobe and there's, you know, another man there and oh, this is awkward. You know, there's a little too much of that. And, you know, Jadzia Dax's point that, you know, when he yells at her is the only, you know, yeah. moment that we actually see him actually feeling an emotion. Um, I mean, he's the typical, he wants to please his father and he doesn't necessarily know how to do that. And, you know, he is... I think the only really interesting conversation between the two of them is, you know, the morning after when he's saying, you know, I thought about what you said and I was confused, you know, I would like to be a pilot, you know, and he has all the, and, you know, she's like, well, that's a job, you know, that's not why a reason, you know, an argument for joining. You right, know? right. I mean, it is very clear that if he just wanted to become a Starfleet pilot, if he's, if, if he's gotten level, you know, it's, it's made a big deal that he, if he's gotten level five, training at this point in his life he is an excellent pilot and he goes to starfleet any ship will take him you know he will have a very illustrious career you know and will do very well and he doesn't need to be joined for that i do think it's a little bit of a weird misstep for the show to imply that the only way to really have a full life as a joined trill is to join starfleet though because <laughs> no you know, and i mean this you this, can... this is the star trek s- series more than any other that we've seen yeah. so far that really does take uh, the thoughts and opinions of non-Starfleet uh, citizens uh, seriously. And so that's kind of weird, I think. I mean, it is fair that Dax would, you know, Jadzia Dax, any version of Dax would stay in Starfleet because, you know, Curzon Dax was in Starfleet and, you know, you can... Well, I don't know if Curzon Dax was in Starfleet oh. or if he just, like, I think he was an hung ambassador. Either way, you know, Dax has had a very strong relationship with Starfleet and it's very natural we... that, you know, somebody who joined Starfleet would be, you know, the scene when we saw, you know, when we see O'Brien talking to Jake, you know, even simply and, you know, assuming Starfleet. It's not that ridiculous to for someone who's in that to still think that that's a good path and be able to, I mean, hell, we don't exactly know how he, you know, maybe he put down Starfleet as a possible career and that's why he got paired up with Jadzia during this 
mission in the first place, you know? Yeah. He, he may have said he has an interest in that, so I don't know. Uh, you know, I it's funny. It, 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 just as an aside, Curzon has always struck me as, you know, kind of... We, we don't we never learned that much about Curzon. I mean, we learn more about Curzon as the yeah. show goes on, but, you know, obviously for, for reasons that are, you know, fairly obvious because he's dead. Uh, <laughs> you know, he's never a focal point of, of, of the yeah. series. But he's always struck me as maybe one of those sort of, like, asshole ambassador types from the original series who just kind of drops in on a ship and bosses everyone around and acts like a dick and then disappears. I, I think of him a little more like, you know, I, I have a feeling that uh, he and Lwaxana Troy got along famously. Oh, I'm like, sure they did. They both, you know, knew that their position meant they were completely untouchable. And while they have generally benign, you know, things into the world, they... I, I mean, let's face it, uh, 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 um, Mitchell Barrett does a very good job of playing of the earthiness that Dax needs. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? absolutely. Um, but yeah, you can picture Curzon as he, he was the kind of guy who liked women and liked going to see the horses, you know, and liked baseball. So like, that, that's who Curzon Dax is. And I guess that's really, when it really comes down to it, I guess that's the fundamental problem I have with all of these Dax episodes, is that whenever they have a Dax episode, they talk so much about Curzon Dax, and I wish that Curzon Dax was the character on the show and not Jezia Dax. Yeah. he sounds a lot more interesting, frankly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and I guess, you know, the other, the, we haven't even touched on the other two plots of the episode, which, whatever, they don't really matter. Because, I think, because they don't really give... Again, we, it's fine if the B-plot doesn't 100% care about itself. And sort of this little mini-universe they find, fine, sure. It's like, just so— What the fuck is with the Vols? They, they go so, nowhere, and they have no point. It's so perfunctory. The, the, the mini-universe thing is extremely perfunctory. Yeah. And the Vol thing is—I'll be honest. I think that the episode has three plots, mostly because there's just not enough there yeah. with the Arjun and Jadzia stuff. But, but even the B plots aren't enough to be a B plot, so they have to add a C plot. And I kind of, you know, you you've expressed a liking for the for the for the episodes that are sort of hangout episodes. And while this isn't a hangout episode, it kind of has that same structure a little bit. Uh, I think that but, if you're going to introduce something like a mini universe and then talk about destroying it, and Cisco has this weird scene with Jake and all of these things, and it, none of it is really sold as urgent. Oh, is it's, this the you, one where he's like, I'm in love with the Devo girl? And... Yeah. Cisco is deciding whether or not to destroy a mini universe, and it's just being treated with no real weight whatsoever. It's almost as though the characters know they're on a TV show, and they're like, oh, it's just a Star Trek plot. It doesn't matter. Like, you can see this you can see this series yeah. kind of chafing at the bit of the expectations and not really being interested in this as a prime example of that. And, you know, and it's like the whole vol thing. How many sitcoms have a plot where, you know, oh, we've got mice, you know, and the, the, it's all of these you know, and they're trying to do all of these escalating comedic things. I mean, the scene where he's calling Goldukat, you know, is funny. That's you not Goldukat. That's not Goldukat? No. Who is it then? I don't know. It's not Gold Ducat, though. Okay, Gold Do Not. Sure. Is there you, go. Uh, you know, but it doesn't go anywhere. There's no punchline. And like a sit, if this, you know, the Friends episode that did this plot had an ending to that plot. You know, I mean, if you really wanted to be tortured about it, and why not? Because that's the kind of podcast we do. The Vols, you know, they a good lesson about the sanctity I know, of no, life it's like that you goes in with Arjun in the mini like universe these... but you know it's... yeah yeah 
yeah, like this uh, is the third Star Trek show, and we've had you know almost thirty years of Star Trek previous to this. We get the whole Star Trek thing. Yeah. We know that Star Trek believes in new life and new civilizations. You don't need to tell us a story. You know, about at one point they have a line rats. like, you know, we're exterminating the voles. We can't exterminate the universe. And what are we gonna do? And I don't even think that they know how they even cared how they finished the how they fix the universe thing they just need to sort of have Arjun sort of save the day but not really and then he figures out you know what he's gonna do in his life and that's that's you know it's just that's pretty much it um we get a nice moment from quark which one is that which when he talks to Arjun and he tells a little quark tells a little bit about a little bit about his own backstory oh where yeah he was apprentice to the vice nagus of something or other and he slept with the boss's daughter and you know you have quark i think the boss's sister actually whichever it is Uh, yes sleep with the boss's sister the point is it it grounds quark in quark and quark's ambition in that quark was doing all of the right things and he made a fuck up and he lost everything and now he sees himself as just you know trying to get ahead in any way he can in the, you know, it almost, in the Nagus, you know, he he accepts the position of Nagus without, you know, batting an eye, you know, and it kind of makes it clear that, well, this is him seeing where he, he was supposed to go. He almost has that as a right, and because of this one little mistake that he made, you know, he lost his birthright, and, you know, I don't know, that it it it, it isn't the most life-changing, it, it doesn't make the, it's not worth the episode to have that, you know, little bit, but, and I like the way that he doesn't frame it into life advice, you know, for Arjun, you know, yeah. he isn't going, you know, cause Dax is doing a bit of the, well, I messed up, but I learned from it, you know, and Quark is saying, sometimes you, it doesn't matter how much you learn from it, you know, you blow your shot, you blow your shot. I have nothing to say about that, but well observed, Richard, well observed. Thank you. Um, before we move on to profit and loss, I, I just want to share with everybody that I have a note here that just says, is Dax an alcoholic? And I don't remember why I wrote that down or what the context was, but... Because um, she wants a black hole in the morning. Putting that... That's what it was. After exercising. Putting that idea in all of your heads. Well, then what's his name is drinking all of the uh, Kool-Aid. Arjun? So, let's talk about profit and loss. Funny right. enough, speaking about loss, I wish they had lost this episode. Yeah, I, uh, I I don't think that Profit and Loss is a successful episode of the show by any means. No. Uh, I think that uh, if the answer, t- if they wanted to ask the question, do we need Quark's long lost love to come back? The answer is no. <laughs> but it's an interesting failure. And, I, I, okay, that, and that's I, fair. And I do think that there's a lot of good backstory in this episode, at least in terms of what we learn about Garrick, which is kind of nothing and kind of not uh, at the same time. And uh, frankly, the first inklings that there's maybe some more going on in Cardassia than we perhaps thought. I mean, I like that this is a, the, the whole Cardassian Bajoran thing is. I don't know. I cuz I've to me that feels like the main plot of Next Generation. I don't uh, of Deep Space 9. I don't know if it quite is or is not, but it feels like the thing that touches the most characters. And yeah. it feels like the most, you know, dramatically large uh conflict or, you know, 
topic in, in, in the universe of Deep Space Nine. Um, so it is nice to get another uh, wrinkle on that. It is nice to see, to meet some Cardassians who are not in the military. I mean, we've, you know, t- to see these characters who are dressed very differently from any other Cardassian we've ever seen was a, you know, it's always nice to, one of the things I've loved about Deep Space Nine is it doesn't have every single character from a planet is the same. You know, it's talking about how there are fractions within these societies, and now we're seeing one within Cardassia, and that that's kind of nice. Um, we are seeing, you know, we see the Bajoran uh, 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 provisional government making us another situation, a deal with a Cardassian that we don't really like, you know, and that that's a little, that's seen as very political in the most negative you know resonance of that term i would say yeah i actually think that that um you know if they had taken the quark love story out entirely uh i think that this could have been a really good episode yeah and i think that you know so in other words just a random cardassian who doesn't particularly know anybody comes to the station and they're dealing with it yeah, I don't. I don't think that you need that yeah. in the in the episode, and I think that it kind of muddies the waters to a large degree. You know, Cardassia has, I think, kind of been on the sidelines this season. I mean, we haven't really seen that much of it. Um, you know, it's all been kind of told uh, through inference. You know, the yeah. the Circle Three parter, where it was revealed that the Bajoran government was doing a deal, or they were getting their weapons. Um, uh, they were getting their weapons from from Cardassia, and they didn't know about it. Uh, you know, we we saw Garrick once. Um, there's been they pop up from time to time. They popped up last last episode with the Vols. You know, they're always kind of there. But in this episode, it kind of ratchets up the the stakes here a little bit, and it tells us, okay, well, there's a Cardassian Central Command, which we didn't know before, I don't mm-hmm. think, uh, or at least not under that name. There's a, a civilian government, which I think we knew, but perhaps didn't know the extent of it. Yeah. There's an underground, you know. The underground a, is definitely new. The underground, yeah, the underground is definitely new. You know, we learned some more interesting information about Garrick, and then it's all just it comes to a dead stop whenever uh, uh, Natima and Quark are in a scene together. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because oh, that whole business was like, I'm going to shoot you. I shot you. Oops, I shot you. You're OK. It was only on one. Like that I, took forever. And why was I watching that? Well, I do. You know, it's funny because I, I um, on the Memory Alpha page for this episode, they originally wrote this as much more of a Casablanca uh, okay. homage. And frankly, I didn't pick up on it because. <laughs> I, I I can see I can, now that you know I, I think you can see it, but I don't think that just watching this episode you could really pick that up. The reason is because they almost got sued apparently because I guess Casablanca is still under copyright or something. I don't know, and so they had a lot of lines in there. It was actually supposed to be called um, something. We'll always have Cardassia or something. I don't know. You know, something like that. It was it, the, the ties were much more explicit, yeah. and I think that they had to rework a lot of the love story uh, to not run afoul of whoever lawyers they were being threatened by. The problem, of course, is that the love story between Clark and a character that we've never seen before in and of itself is not interesting. So once you strip any sort of yeah. uh, 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 homage of Casablanca out of it, you're really left with a flat, flat, flat plot. Yeah. I mean, one one thing I'm going to be, I think that fell the worst for me is that I couldn't buy that these two kids are the be-all and end-all of the revolution. You know what I mean? 
I mean, in in Casablanca, now that you mentioned it, it's made. They're with, robots. It's ah, um, that's my own head cannon. It's then then it can never be wrong. I know. Um, it's made very clear in Casablanca why Victor Laszlo needs to be you know brought you know out of Casablanca. They they, they do a good job enough to sell that. Yeah, I did. They didn't sell it that the you know rev, why the revolution depended on these two people. I mean, I don't know. I, I didn't really have that much of a problem with it, only because the show is telling us very strongly that they are very important, and that's fine. I guess the I more mean, it told me, the less I believed it. But yeah, but it doesn't really you know, tell you but, anything, right? Yeah, I don't know. I guess it was a case of the, I didn't that element didn't quite sell it to me, and they were too busy trying to distract me with the love story that I wasn't, you know. Well, and I guess you know, there's a yeah. I mean, the whole thing is just kind of a mess, and you know, while that particular element of the plot didn't really bother me because again, yeah. you know, they can tell us anything oh, and I'll believe it. You know, really, what it comes down to is we have a story here, which is a very, very a cliched story you know you've got the rascal who has a heart of gold who has a lost love who is going to uh go against his selfish interests to help her all right that's interesting not really (laughs) but then you know it's quark it makes him out to be a thing too much of a good guy we don't want quark to be a good guy necessarily i don't think i want quark to be in love it's fine that he's in love i just don't want to see it you know it's it's I don't want to say that they can't do a Quark love story and do it well, because there's there's one, I think, next season that's actually really good. But for the most part, it's I don't know. It's it's a problem because, you know, I have criticisms of the way that the show treats Ferengis mainly as character relief. But when they don't treat them as character relief, it's just terrible. So I don't really know what the answer is. (laughs) Yeah, I. Given what we've learned about... Why does she love Quark? I mean, there's no, yeah, love is not logical and whatever, but there's no real indication... Why does he love her, though? Because given what we've known about Quark's taste in women and, you know, how the status of women on on Ferengario... Ferenginar. uh, Ferenginar. um, Why does he love her? Right. Like, it, it just does... Well, they, that, ha- they, that, ha- they have no chemistry. That makes sense to me because I think that the one thing that you always see with the Ferengi when you saw the Grand Nagus lusting after Kira a few episodes ago mm, was that, you know, you fetishize what you can't have okay, and fair. they make their women be powerless and naked all the time. And so, of course, they're going to have a fetish for strong women that are wearing clothes. That that makes sense to me. I, but they have no chemistry together. They just, yeah, I, I, I don't, there is, when when they're playing all that music, when they're at the end and kissing, and it's like, I don't. No, I know. And again, I think, I, I, you know, I don't know what the original plot looked like. I don't know what the original script looked like. Maybe it was a brilliant homage to Casablanca that would have been one of the best episodes of Star Trek ever. Kind of doubt it. But. Well, their homage episodes are usually excellent, I will I, say. Yeah, well, yeah, the Godfather one was fantastic. <laughs> uh, but. You know, it, it's just one of those things where when you strip away what I guess would make the episode interesting or notable and you replace it with nothing, that's not that's what you get. good. I mean, and yes, I know we've talked a lot about 26 episodes of television and it's really hard to make that much television be good. They probably just had to do this episode because they had no other scripts ready. I mean, I get it. I totally get it. But... 
it, it doesn't it doesn't absolve us from the responsibility to criticize it. So we had to watch the damn thing, okay? Yeah. We have to spend 2 hours of our life on this episode. Yeah. Yeah. Uh that's 4 man hours, Eric. 2 hours. Well, we spent about a half hour thinking about it each. Oh, I don't think about it at all. You think about this? Yeah, all, like pretty much the entire time I usually make notes all between watching the episode and actually recording it. Wow. I didn't know this. I'm, take, actu- I'm actually shocked. I take this very seriously. I don't do that at all. No, I spend time coming up with points and insights. Wow. Anyway, now that I'm having some existential angst over podcasting. Um, yeah, and I think that, that you know, the other thing that, that I don't know, I, I don't want to talk about Natima and Quark anymore because, frankly, who cares? Uh, we, we've kind of beaten that, I think, uh, about as far as it'll go, um, if I can mix metaphors. So, Quark... No, not Quark. So, Garrick. You know, I've liked Garrick. I didn't really care about Garrick in this episode, and I'm not sure why. Um, I guess it was because he's all, oh, I'm going to work, I'm going to be on the Cardassian side. You know, because he's Garrick, he's going to switch at the very end. And I don't know, I just didn't. Now I'm starting to get pissed off that I can't figure out what side he's on. Now it's like, all well, right, buddy, I've seen you like three times. Like, just, you know. You do. Yeah, I will say, this is not uh, a show that doesn't tell you what Garrick is about. Uh, the show very much does tell you what Garrick is about and tells you as much of his backstory oh, as yeah. you need to know. You will learn more about Garrick as the show goes on. Uh, yeah, so- it's very, you know, we were told that he, we were told that he had a position in the civilian government, was it? Uh, well, it's vague. That was told, but okay. It's vague what position he had in the government, but but he did have a high position. Now he's in essentially exile, basically. But he's you know you're not sure what game he's playing or what exactly position he really is in. He may just be in deep, deep, deep super cover. He may be triple reverse crossing everybody. It sounds to me. I mean, I don't think that we learned that much about Garrick in this episode. Uh, you know, we knew that he was not who he appeared to be already because yeah. we we had the episode from from the fir- end of the first season where he was uh, uh, revealing himself to be a pretty capable operative of some sort. So he's obviously not just a tailor who ended up on Deep Space Nine. But the one thing that we do learn about him in this episode, I think, is that he is an exile or he's lost favor in the Cardassian government or whatever agency he worked for. And so... You know, he's Garrick is an interesting character. And I think that that the beginning scene where he's talking to Bashir and Quarks uh, is interesting because it does frame what he does in this episode very interestingly. He's talking about how he loves Cardassia, how he loves the state. Yeah. For for Garrick, I think that the the pain of not being able to serve Cardassia is what is driving him to try to get back into the good graces of the government. Well, to me, I think it's even a little more than that, because at the end he does, you know, I think it's Quark asked them, well, you know, why did you do that? Meaning kill the military guy and let the resistance go. And he says, oh, because I love Cardassia. And it's the very strong implication is that Garrick is believing that this resistance, the way that these two are going to lead Cardassia away from this military conquest is what's ultimately going to be right for it again he's almost you know it paints him almost as a rommel kind of figure you know somebody who you know loves the country but thinks that the current government is actually completely fucked 
Well, is this uh, uh, is this something that I'm making up in my own head, and perhaps I'm spoiling something? Or there there was a scene with with Garrick and Gul Dukat, right, where yeah. it was revealed that they don't like each other. Yeah. So I think that that's also you know it, 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 th- this is why I like Deep Space Nine because they do a really good job at weaving this tapestry. Yeah. And, you know, you can take all of these disparate elements that are in all these different episodes and you can really start to see a picture of a character that is coming together really well. Yeah, see, it's, I mean, yeah, it is possible that uh, Garrick is some kind of, you know, deep cover resistance agent. I don't know why he would be exiled because it doesn't seem like, you know, the Cardassian government would let somebody who is that powerful live, you know what I mean? I don't know if I get the sense that Garrick is powerful. I mean, I think but, that but he's... he any in any episode that he's been in, things have gone one hundred percent his way. He's very good at making you know. If, 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 he isn't powerful in the sense that you know he says jump and the rest of a Cardassia you know jumps. I mean, Golducott is much more powerful than he is, but. I don't know. Don't 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 mistake Garrick recognizing the way the wind is blowing and changing attack. To him having everything go the way he wants it to go. It, it's, it's, and that, that, I guess, is part of the question about him. Is he manipulating events in that way, or is, is he very quick at rolling with the punches? And I, he... think, I think he's very quick at rolling with the punches. I think that, you know, again, if you go back to that initial scene in the episode when he talks about how much he loves Cardassia, and at the end of the episode he's talking about how he wants to serve Cardassia. You know, for, for Garrick, Cardassia is... You know, Cardassia is your first love. I mean, Cardassia is this idealized thing in your head that 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 isn't really uh, a, a real thing. Yeah. And so he can change the actual tactics that he's using, and he can kind of okay, I support this person. Okay, I support these people. I have a, because it doesn't really matter. That's not what Cardassia is to him. You know, and so it's almost like a fantasy in his mind. Well, I, I think I know we said once in a TNG is the Cardassians come up as comp- competent Romulans. I mean, we've seen the Cardassians love to plot and plan and come up with. So in a way, you know, sure. he loves Cardassia. So yeah, maybe rolling with the punches, manipulating who you can and eventually surviving, you know, this minefield. That's the most Cardassian thing one could do. Well, uh, yeah, I got, yeah, that's a really good point. And I think that, you know, I don't know that I really want to spend a lot of time teasing out exactly how Cardassia is governed, but you know, you have a certain few different elements here. You have the the military, which assumedly is the central command. Yeah. That's what it sounds like. You have a civilian government, and you have this underground. You know, and so w- something is going on there. We don't really know yeah. what it is. It's just kind of sketched in. Does it matter? Does this, it not matter? Se- no. I mean, the sense I'm getting is that the military government is you know, deciding state policy and, you know, figuring... You well, know, are and, they, though? Because well, they do say that the Bajoran uh, withdrawal was a political decision that the military was not for it. And so... Well, yeah, that's the thing. The civilian government is probably doing more of the day-to-day things, but they're not completely without power. And if the... I assume it's very rare that the civilian government makes a decision to go against what the you know, military government does, but... In the case of Bajor, that was one case where they did exercise their muscle. Yeah, perhaps, perhaps. You know, and I think that, that, that what this leaves us, of course, is that, you know, relating it back to Garrick, I think Garrick is a character that we can't figure out, but I think that's by design. Oh, yeah. And I think that, you know, it's not that they don't know who Garrick is. I think that they know who Garrick is, even though they may not know exactly what the structure of Cardassia society is. <laughs> uh, because, again, frankly, you know, uh, we're not talking about 
a show or a franchise that is necessarily interested in constructing fictional cultures or societies that are quote unquote believable. Yeah. Uh, It's more about shining a mirror on our own civilizations, but for Garrick at the end of the day, he is just going with the way that he thinks he's the way, the way that he thinks he's going to get out of this and, or he's going to get something out of it. Right. And so at the end of the episode, when he does kill Galderon, it's more to do with the fact I think that he doesn't like that Galteron kind of tried to get one over on him. Yeah. And I also think that Garrick, frankly, doesn't like the military very much. And so Garrick's just going, all right, you know what? You guys go. Like, and I think that that's, I think that that's interesting because it kind of paints him as an opportunist, but an idealistic opportunist. Yeah, I, I get what you mean. I mean, his original plan was to have, you know, Garrick is the one who he says he fought for the this prisoner exchange, you know, which would ultimately let them being alive at least. Yeah. You know? Um. But yeah, I, I, again, I think it's a combination of rolling with the punches, seeing the wind blows, but also he does have some savvy. He knows how to get a person to act a certain way from time to time. And also, you know, he, he's got everybody's uh, dander up. You know, I think yeah. that, that, that you know, Cisco is kind of saying, well, you know, this is exactly what I was assuming. And, you know, Bashir is always wondering about him and yeah. trying to get him to admit that he's a spy. And by, by, by repeatedly saying, despite the strong evidence to the contrary, that he's a simple tailor. He has everybody curious as hell about them, you know. Well, and of course he wants that. Exactly, because, because, you know, then that he is the kind of character who his screen is having so much gossip around him that nobody knows what's true, you know. Exactly. Rather than, you know, some people wish to have no talk about them. I think like Vedic Wynn, for example, is one of those people who wants there to be no gossip about her, you know. He, he he sets up a smoke screen, really. Yeah, I think so. Because, you know, if, if, if Garrick is as capable and operative as we as we see him to be, you know, of course, uh, he would very easily be able to just portray a very actual simple tailor yeah. and not raise anyone's suspicions. And so this is ty- this is this is tying into his desire for something in some way and we'll figure it out at some point. I got to but... wonder if his shop is well frequented or people are just kind of too scared to go in does it even matter no i know but uh, i think it's interesting (laughs) i mean that's kind of the other thing too of course is that you know you could kind of look at and you can say well he doesn't have any customers and so that's raising people's suspicions i mean there's a lot of different ways you could take it uh all his dresses stand for metaphors and he rips (laughs) them too what a bad store person i will say you know i i don't know that Quark's motivations in this episode, as we've talked about, don't make a ton of sense. But, I mean, they make sense intellectually. They we just found don't... out he was selling food to the Bajorans on the black market. Well, right. That's yeah. interesting. Uh, you know, there's indications that Quark is, is perhaps not a very good Ferengi sometimes. Mm-hmm. And uh, I like that we get a couple of scenes with Garrick and Quark together. Because I think that that's a pairing that is really, really interesting. Yeah. And they don't like each other. And, they're you know... Garrick is almost very aggressive to Quark in that episode, and Quark is actually matching him, you know, which is good for Quark, but well, I, I mean, I, I really, the, again, the scene with the dress, I really liked it, you know, I it's two characters obviously speaking in code, essentially, but... 
Well, that's what I really like about it is that, you know, Quark is played for laughs a lot. And, and, and when Quark is taken seriously, it's usually on the surface and not really all that interesting or believable as in his love storyline. But, you know, when he's playing up against someone like Garrick, it is you, you can see that Quark is very, very wily. And yeah. he can hold his own in a battle of wills. Again, you, you, you can see then why he was, you know, why he was a top graduate and a golden boy, you know, in his apprenticeship. You know, he he does know what to do. It, but it, it might be, I mean, Quark protests all the time that he's in a backwater and he's not really in a good position, you know, and he's, but I mean, maybe that really is what's holding him back. Like maybe if he were on Ferenginario, he would be, he, he would, the money, the Latin would be flowing a lot faster. Yeah, or I mean, maybe as we've seen, you know, in this episode, you know, he he does have uh, altruistic or uh, 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 charitable instincts, and so maybe that wouldn't be a good thing on Ferenginar. You know? I like that charitable for Ferengi is selling to things to the refugees, though. You know, it's it. You know, it, it's he. The fact that he didn't gouge them, you he know, sold, he sold it at cost, Richard. I know, like you know, I think at cost. <laughs> Which, but that's you, worse than just giving it away. I know, but you, because at least giving it away for you can, you know, come with a you 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 can extort a favor later on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know that there's much else to say about this episode. I think that you know, for the last Ferengi episode we're ever going to see, I think it was a great note to go out on. I, I'm glad that you're feeling optimistic about that. <laughs> you're uh, very wrong. The Nagus is going to come back like set, once a season, isn't he? The Nagus and the Loxana Troy are going to have a romance, aren't they? Well, uh, maybe. Oh, God. And she's going to call him Little One because they're short. Yeah, maybe. Could happen. Yeah. Could happen. And that's when I stopped watching DS9. <laughs> All right. Well, if you have any thoughts on either of these episodes, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at trekaboutshow.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash truckaboutshow. Follow us on Twitter for all of our tweet updates at twitter.com slash truckaboutshow. Follow us on Instagram, username truckaboutshow. Basically, we're truckaboutshow everywhere. Except for Pinterest. Except for Pinterest. Because we're not Pinterested in anything. That is well played. Maybe we should sign up for Pinterest. I don't know. Well, we, we could put like pictures of like, you know, Picard and like Spock and like Troy and like. You kind of look like a Ferengi. I kind of don't. <laughs> I, I only say Richard really doesn't look like a Ferengi. I only said that just because Quark was stuck in my head. Ew. And as always, leave us a positive iTunes review. Five stars only, please. We will read it on the podcast if you leave one. It has been too long since we have had a new one. And it, Eric, like, complains about it every day. Every day. I every do. day. He yells at the dog. Well, he's going to hit the dog one of these days because you haven't made a comment. All right, Richard. Well, uh, I know that the second season has been kind of a rough ride. <laughs> We've talked about more than once. And uh, we're almost to getting to the end here. Oh, good. And things actually get quite a bit better from oh, here good. on out. Well, it can't get worse. So uh, next week we are talking about Blood Oath and the Maquis, oh. which is a name that Richard knows from TNG, part one. What? We'll talk to you then. <laughs>